we're getting closer to finishing the book of Galatians. Like, you've been saying that for six months. What's unique is in the American culture, what you do is you set goals and then you're like, hey, let's get through all these things as quick as possible, right? So what's unique about church is, you know, peace of me is like, I want to get through this, I want to get through this, I want to get through this. But then it's like, why are we rushing to get, get through God's word? If we're still learning something, if we're still applying it to our lives, then as long as we're looking at God's word, then we shouldn't be rushing through it. So I hope to, by the end of the year, be through Galatians, which it looks like will be in the book of Revelation here in a couple weeks. So, um, yeah, let's pray, and we're going to get into it. God, um, we need you. We need you today. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you sent your son. I pray that today that you would do something different within us. That it wouldn't be, um, yeah, it wouldn't just be a normal Sunday. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Hearts with fertile soil, Father. Minds to comprehend. Feet that want to be obedient, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week we discussed the idea of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in a believer's life who is following the Spirit. And uh, what was unique about that is maybe there was an idea presented that many of us have not considered before. Because what we like to do is we like, what has often happened is we teach the fruits, the fruits, which the Bible does not say fruits, we teach the fruits of the Spirit as individual items. Where last week what I proposed is, I believe Paul intentionally said the fruit of the Spirit because what God does is when God makes us a new creation, he grows us to be more in his image. And to be more in his image means that he doesn't say, I'm going to work on lust in your life, but not work on love. Because God is who he is. When he comes to live inside of us, all of these things will grow. Amen? So the fruit of the Spirit we talked about last week. But what often happens is... When we try to be led by the Spirit, what we end up doing is we try to avoid sin so that we're led by the Spirit. How many of you guys try to serve God better? So you're like, I'm going to avoid, I'm going to intentionally avoid sin this week. And my focus is on avoiding sin. So then you try to avoid sin so that you can be led by the Spirit better. Anyone in here? My focus has often been on I'm going to avoid this sin. I'm going to avoid doing this. And I'm not saying that's inherently bad but it might be inherently powerless. What's more powerful is we don't avoid sin to be led by the Spirit. We are to be led by the Spirit so that we have the power to avoid sin. Amen? So instead of waking up in the morning and saying, I'm not going to do this, maybe what I do first thing in the morning is say, God, you are worthy. Lead me today. May your spirit lead me this morning. And when we focus on being more led by the spirit rather than thinking about the thing that we're not supposed to do, then I think we, um, 
see more life come to pass. So what Paul has done so far is he has described what it looks like for those who follow the Spirit. So in Galatians 5, 16, he said, we will walk by the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 18, he said, we will be led by the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 25, he said, we will be, uh, live by the Spirit. But because we are people, what we try to do is we quantify what life by the Spirit should look like. Some say that if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to see signs and wonders happen in your life, and that is the mark. That's the only mark that you'll see because we try to quantify it. Others say, well, if you're led by the Spirit, it will lead to greater worship in your life. When you come in on Sunday mornings, you're just going to worship and you're going to dance. And I had a dream um, a couple weeks ago where I was up here just bebopping to myself, dancing and praising the Lord. And it wasn't with the music or anything. I was just jumping and dancing. So if you see me jumping and dancing, then um, you know where it was coming from. I had a dream. So um, some of us quantify and say, being led by the Spirit means that our worship is better. Or some people say, well, being led by the Spirit means our obedience is better. Others would say, if we're led by the Spirit, our boldness is better. And my response to that is yes. All of those things happen when we are led by the Spirit. But what certain groups try to do is just say, this is what being Spirit-led looks like. Yet what I think Paul is getting at, getting at to wrap up chapter 6 is how the Spirit leads through a Christian community. See, sometimes our eyes can be so focused on the world or politics or other things that we forget about this. We forget about each other. See, sometimes we can be so fixated on growing the church with more people that we forget about loving the person next to you. And what Paul is essentially getting at here as we wrap up the book of Galatians is the fruit of the Spirit. God's, so God's grace comes to live inside of you, and while, or God's grace forgives your sins. You can't earn your way to heaven. And because God is now living inside of you, because his grace covers you, his grace enables you, right? You can walk by the fruit of the Spirit. And as you walk in the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit allows you to love your brothers and sisters. That's what Paul's getting at today. Your brothers and sisters. So Paul's wrapping up chapter 6 to help us understand um, Christ's work through a Christian community. How the fruit of the Spirit will work through the body of Christ. So to set the precedent for today, I want to share a story I once heard. There was a pastor, and this, this is not me, uh, there was a pastor who, was, who received a suggestion one Sunday morning after church. And a little old lady came up. She said, Pastor, I would like to see more signs and wonders throughout our church. I'd like to see God just moving powerfully. He doesn't seem to be moving like he used to be. And of course, that stuff probably always catches pastors off guard, and he's really stuck in a corner because if he doesn't just tickle the ear, then he gets in trouble, of course. But what ends up happening is the pastor 
um, calmly responded. He said, you see that little old lady over there? And he said, yes. He said, you see all those kids? Yes. Those three kids and that lady are going to be evicted out of their house in three days. I wonder if you would be willing to bring them into your house for three months while, um, while they get on their feet again. He said, because I think that is also a sign and a wonder. I also think that that's a miracle because that's a sister of ours. Now, the story does not say how that lady responded. But selfishly, we have to think like the signs and wonders that we're often looking for, the power of God that we're often looking for is all about worshiping ourselves. It's often about making ourselves feel better. Pay my rent, pay my mortgage, heal this person or heal that person through my hands, give me money, make the politicians think the way that I think so that I feel safer, so that I feel better, fix the stock market, make my boss fired. The signs and wonders that we're looking for is often things that somewhere within us are all about ourselves. And what Paul is going to get at here today is the peak, maybe the pinnacle of the fruit of the Spirit is when we're willing to love our brother or sister. Because you know what, it's a whole lot, e I'll be honest with you, you know what's really easy? It's really easy to pay someone's rent rather than letting that person come live in your house. Come on, somebody. Because then you can feel really good about yourself and keep them out of your house. It was, that $700 was well worth it. <laughs> now, I'm not saying, don't hear me say that every person is supposed to come in to our house. Maybe there's some people in here who... Um, it's just not right for them to come into your house, but maybe the body of Christ, someone else in here. Maybe my imaginary brother over here can't come live into my house because we have a toxic relationship. But maybe my imaginary brother can go live with Shambay. And Shambay and him can make it work out for three months, right? The body of Christ coming together. Now, this is not to demean any desire to see God move in powerful ways, as I deeply desire to see God move in powerful ways. But sometimes we forget about how powerful it is to love and help our church family. Someone who misses community. See, the church, the big church, the big K church, meaning the kingdom of God across the world, the big kingdom church is being divided right now. And some of us have allowed the big kingdom church to divide us. For example, um, everything now is a dividing line. Now, we're getting away from it a little bit, but a lot of things have been a dividing line. So, for example... Um, you even hate to say it, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, right? There's some people who say you have to be vaccinated. There's other people who say you don't have to be vaccinated. And then it's a dividing line. Masks or no masks, Democrat or Republican, right? 
inclusion or exclusion. There's all of these dividing lines. And then we're so busy. So then we settle for no community versus community. It's just so easy for us to miss community. We need each other is what Paul's getting at today. We need each other. You, maybe you don't need church, but we need you here. We need you here because you have a gift. You have something that God has given you that he has not given us, that when we come together, we're edified, we're encouraged, we're healed, we're made whole. Sometimes we don't go to church because we feel like, well, I don't need it today. Well, it's not about you. Number one, it's about God. And our God is Jesus, and there's one God, and that is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? So when you, when you have the idea that I don't need to go to church today because I'm not going to benefit from it today, okay, you might not. But the person that you shook hands with, the person that you made eye contact with, the person that you smiled to, the person you prayed with, the person you just heard, you just said, how are you doing? And they said, I've had a rough week. That changed something for somebody. And what's happening in this world today is with technology, with politics, with the world, is we're all being divided. Does anyone recognize that you're being divided? We are being divided, and that is a plan of Satan. And what Scripture tells us is to never forsake gathering together. But what's happening is because of technology, what we say is it's more convenient for us now. But that's not biblical. What's biblical is for us to gather together. Now, am I to say we need to gather together every day, every other day? Every three days, once a month, I'm not here to tell you that, but I am going to look at what Scripture says of what a New Testament community looks like. God wants us to walk in community. Now look, in my family, I'm annoyed by all my siblings or both my siblings at some points. Just because I'm annoyed with them at some points doesn't mean I don't love them. Doesn't mean I don't tell them that I love them. There's points that I'm annoyed with my parents. And I love them both. I love them all. There's times that they're annoyed with me. Go figure, right? Because I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor of the church. So that means that I'm the know-it-all. Right? So of course they're annoyed with the know-it-all. So you get annoyed. Like, look, we get annoyed with people in here. There's some people who aren't the perfect image of what you want them to be. But you know what? When Christ created us, we were good, but yet we failed and we're not perfect. So even though we weren't perfect, he was still willing to die for us and walk in community with us so that we could be reconciled to him. Amen? So there's people in here we don't prefer all of the time. But that doesn't mean we don't walk in community and live sacrificially for one another. Amen? And this isn't about, why well, I hope this person over there is hearing that message today. What this message is about is me, too. It's me. 
It's you saying we are going to follow what Scripture says and prioritize gathering and having community. Because, you know what? I can guarantee you there's not going to be Michigan football in heaven. It just won't be. That's not heavenly. But I highly doubt that there's Ohio State football or Berg football. What I think is going to happen is it's going to be you and I and our loved ones and those who we read about during biblical times will be somehow worshiping God and doing life and having fellowship and eating food together. Somehow in heaven, we're going to live sacrificially unto one another. That's what life is. So why, why would we not practice those things now? Why would we not live sacrificially unto one another now? And again, what Paul is getting at is he's going to say today and some of next week and maybe the next three, three months in Galatians. He's going to say this, look, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is lived out through loving the people who are your brothers and your sisters. Galatians 6.10 says, all the more who are within the household, all the more who are within the family. Amen? So, if we miss community in the New Testament, we're not paying attention. Much of the New Testament talks about the, uh, the importance and the need for a biblical body so Acts chapter 2, most of you, if not all of you are familiar, verses 42 through 47. This is what the church community, this is what brothers and sisters look like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone, sorry, everyone was filled with all at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Like, that all sounds fun about people getting saved and seeing signs and wonders and then being on the receiving end of people helping you, but then hanging out with people every day? That don't sound fun. So here's what they did. They put into practice the things that they were learning. A church community put into practice the things that they were learning. They committed to meeting with one another. They committed to eating and praying with one another. They constantly met. And they met so much that their values became the same. They did life together so much that their values became the same. Now, if you hang out with Macy and I, what you start to see is Macy and I have the same values. Macy and I essentially are the same person. Seriously. 
We are. We're the same person with uniquely different expressions of that being. Someone get that lady out of this church. <laughs> if you don't know, it's my mother. <laughs> Macy and I are essentially the same person. Biblically speaking, it says that two become one. Amen? And when I look at some of the older married couples in here and younger married couples, what you see is they used to be this far apart, right? But now they're one. When you see either of them, you see both of them. Amen? Do you guys recognize that within some of these marriages in here? Anyone? I recognize that. So the church was meeting together so much that their values became the same. That's a lot of meeting with church people. I only got one. I only got two hours on a Sunday. Or one harvest party, party a quarter. Or I can only serve once every six months. This isn't to be pointing a finger. It's, are we... Are we living? We have to ask the question. I don't have the exact answer right now. Are we, as Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, living out of the model, individually and corporately, that Christ calls us to live in community? So they constantly met. Their values were the same. And I don't even know, how would we constantly meet? I'm not sure what that would even look like yet. I think we can have more small groups here. I think we can have more families meeting throughout the week in people's homes. There are certain things that we can do. But they sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. I do know that we are a very giving church here. Um, but they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. I don't know. What we're thankful for is a lot of people have given out of their overflow here. And I'm so thankful that we have overflow, but I'm not sure that anyone has sold their property to give to those who are in need. And I'm not saying that you're bad for not. It's just saying, how do we live into the New Testament community? Amen? They met daily in the temple courts. As they met, they were sincere. They praised God, and they enjoyed people. Let's just be honest. How many of you guys have ever came to a church event or church out of obligation, just out of routine? Anyone in here? I have. I have. It's like, man, we have to be at this harvest party. Now, my heart is coming out of that. Um, as I expressed earlier, I'm super excited. I was excited to be here yesterday. But there's been events. There's been small groups. There's been community groups. There's been um, gatherings, fun nights. There's been Sunday mornings where I haven't come with a sincere heart. Um, I haven't enjoyed people. Um, and I haven't praised God either. But as the New Testament church did all of these things, guess what God did? He added to their community daily. So then we must ask ourselves, why, are, why, why is the global church maybe not seeing growth? Why, is, why are churches not growing? Why is this church not growing the way that we dream? 
Well, when I think of this church, when it seemed to be growing at its highest trajectory, it was because there was a sense of community here like never before. That's when the church was growing exponentially. I don't know if any of the um, Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship uh, historians would say anything different. Of course, God was moving, but God was bringing the church together in a great community. And um, God added to the church's number weekly, monthly, yearly. So I just wonder, uh, what if we put these things into practice? What if we put Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 into practice? How many more people would we see here at our church? Um, something I want to be praying about. Nevertheless, we haven't even got to Galatians yet, but Paul affirms the idea of community here today. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you also will be tempted. So what we first have to see here is Paul says, brothers and sisters. Paul is using this as a term of endearment to people who, who he sees, who God sees as family. Who in here has given their life to Christ and believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave three days later and he's the only way to heaven? I believe that too. So look at this. We're brothers and sisters according to scripture. Amen? We're brothers and sisters. So Paul is talking to them as brothers and sisters in Christ to talk to them as family. In Galatians 6.10, he will say, He'll also use the term of family. Um, he will say family or household of believers. In Galatians 4, 6, Abba, Father, in reference to God. In Galatians 6, 18, calls us brothers and sisters again. And then also in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, here's what Scripture also says about Family, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Family unit, Mark three thirty-five. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister. And mother. See, God created us all. God created the church. God created community for a sense to be a family. And He's invited us in through His Son to be a part of His family. So now He wants us to act and treat one another like family. God wants to see, God wants us to see each other as family, like actual family. Like people we want to spend eternity with. You ever felt saved, really saved, and then felt like someone else was saved in the same room, but then you're like, I don't want to spend eternity with that person? <laughs> How am I going to spend billions of years with that person? 
See, God wants us not to just be family-like by quotes or air quotes or being patronizing. What God wants us to do is to be willing to lay down our life the way that you would for your child or your grandchild or your spouse or your sibling. Are you willing to lay down your life sacrificially for the rest of us in this room the way that you would your blood family? Because you may say that, how could I love you? How could I love you the way that I do my blood family? We all got the same blood now, right? Because the blood that runs through my veins that really matters is the blood of Jesus, amen? We all got the same blood in here. We all come from the same DNA. And that blood is Jesus. So God wants us to see each other as family, like actual family, like people we want to spend eternity with. So I ask you, do you love people in here that way? Do you care about them like your spouse or kids? And if so there comes a point where we're going to have to correct people, where we're going to have to rebuke them. So Paul is calling them brothers and sisters immediately after teaching them about the fruit of the Spirit because there is a premium of loving the church. We will see a lot of that next week. And one of the ways we love each other in the body is to recognize our need for others. And also to recognize our need to restore others and to be restored. We need to recognize our need and other people's needs to be restored. So what Paul begins to do here is Paul addresses the need for restoration within the church. And he says this, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should Restore that person gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. So if we want God to add to our community, we must be living as the community that God has created us to be. God has created us to have a value for our church family. So if we think we can simply just catch up on a sermon 50, 50 weeks out of the 52 um, weeks out of the year, if we can just catch up online um, and experience the fullness, of full, the fullness of Christ that he talks about, then we are not appropriately applying scripture to our walk. What Paul is doing is urging us to be instruments of restoration because we are family. When your dog gets lost, or your cat gets lost, you go seek out that dog or that cat, right? Unless you're Jonathan and you hope that someone else finds the dog <laughs> and just takes it in. But you seek out. You, you seek out to restore that person. And there's always this conflict within the church. There's always this conflict within people's lives of, well, who am I to point that out? Or who am I to point this out? But Paul, Paul's urging 
restoration because we are family. So before we get into more scripture, what does Paul mean by restoration? What does Paul want to restore? What's Paul calling us as family to do? There's this, um, well, the original language for restoration here is kata tedzo. Um, you like that? Kata tedzo. So um, what that means is to mend what has been broken or rent, to repair, to complete, to fit, uh, to fit out, to equip, to put in order, to arrange, to adjust, to fit or frame for one's self to prepare ethically, to strengthen, perfect, complete, make one what he ought to be. So Paul desires, or God desires, restoration within the church. The way Paul is using this term to restore is similar to what the book of Mark says. Mark chapter 1, 19. When he had gone a little further, farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. So James and John were repairing or preparing the nets. So by preparing, what they were doing is they were restoring the nets so that they could be used once again. So they took the broken nets and they mended them. They brought them in and they put them back together. So, sometimes like nets, we need someone to restore us, to help put us back together so that we can again be fishers of men. So I ask you, how many of you guys have ever corrected your child in here? Whether it worked or not, I don't know, right? How many of you guys corrected a grandchild a grandchild. How many of you guys corrected someone else's kid before? Why did you do it? Now, maybe there's a sense of moral obligation. But you did it because there was a love for that little one. There was a care for that person. Amen? You spank your kid when they run across the street at 9 p.m. Because if you don't, they will get hit by a car. Right? You spank your kid when they talk in ways that they shouldn't talk because it's not the way you treat others. You spank your kid or whatever. You're saying spank a lot. Whatever you do to your kid. <laughs> you put your kid in the corner. Nowadays, people just say, go to your room with your iPad and PS5. And the kid's like, thank God. That's when the kid got saved. Put me in isolation away from my parents, away from my siblings. God, you're real. Whatever you, we, we punish and we restore people because we care about them. So likewise, what Paul is beginning to say to us is, look, as brothers and sisters, we need to care about people in such a way that we're willing to be awkward with them as we restore them. But as we're being awkward with them, we do it in a way that's very gentle. How many of you guys love each other so much in this room that you're willing to call out sin in their life? 
Because sometimes what's really easy, sometimes what's really easy is I recognize that. I recognize that you sinned. I recognize that you're trapped in this sin. But it's a whole lot easier for me just to go home and pray about it as I fall asleep tonight. Because I'm not sure how you're going to respond to me about it. And if, and if I don't do it appropriately, what's going to end up happening is you're not going to come to church anymore. So Paul is urging us to restore our brothers and sisters within the church. One author says this, For example, if a brother or sister is addicted to something, you should seek to help them. If someone was, is working an excessive amount of time and neglecting family, then you should come alongside them to help them. If a man is involved in a relationship that is shady, then confront him gently. If a sister has missed corporate worship for a month, then she should receive at least a phone call. Be a person who cares for your brothers and sisters, not one who is trying to be everyone's accountability partner. Ultimately, only Jesus can forgive and restore. He puts back together our old broken jalopy of a spiritual life. And that is our, and that is our job, to point others to Jesus. We cannot do this by ignoring sin or remaining silent. So something as simple as we haven't seen someone at church for five weeks. Do we love them enough to give them a call? Now, sometimes what gets weird is you give that person a call because they've been gone for eight weeks. Hey, how are you? Like, Good. And the first thing they say is, um, or you tell them, you say, hey, just checking in. How are you doing? We missed seeing you. And then they get mad at you for calling, right? Anyone ever called someone and they got mad at you for calling? God bless you guys. Y'all just ain't making phone calls, are you? <laughs> I see how you are. Oh, I for that's the pastor's job. Sorry, I forgot. Or other times you run, you run into people at the grocery store and um, the first thing that they say is, hey, sorry I haven't been at church in three months. Boy, you don't need to, girl, you don't need to be sorry to me. Like, I miss you. We miss you. We care about you. You know, so do we care about our church family enough to at least make a phone call? Do you care about your church family enough to call them to greater gold? See, restoring people has not often been done in the church because it has not been done well. It's often easier to gossip about a problem rather than being biblical and addressing it. Amen. Amen. It could also be easier to be holier than thou with judgment. Always be the person with all the answers. Or one might change what they believe about the Bible so that they don't need to address it. Cognitive dissonance, right? I don't believe that anymore because it'd be harder for me to address it than it would for me just to change my values. So what Paul is starting to say here is when your church family gets caught 
in sin, it's our job to restore them. Gently, 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 gently. Paul here is letting us know what the nature of the restorer should be. As one, as ones who live by the Spirit, we are to be gentle. See, because sometimes what we want to do is we, we literally just beat people up with the Bible. Well, the sin in your life, here's what the Bible says, 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 you suck. And that's the way the person feels. I'm proving to you how, ba- how bad of a human being you are. And I'm so thankful God did not prove to me how bad of a human being I was. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't talk to me the way that I talk to other people, amen? Because Jesus has been so patient and kind and gentle in my life, but yet he's one that I fear. How many of you guys have experienced the gentleness of Jesus. So if someone is, so we're talking about the nature of the restorer. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So Paul is not talking about someone who sinned once, right? As uh, we are not the sin police, We are also not the Holy Spirit. Sometimes what we end up doing is we hear a message similar to this, and then we think that we need to become the sin police. Scott saw me speeding yesterday. I saw Scott speeding yesterday. Scott did end up passing me. So no matter how fast I was going, he was going faster. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it doesn't mean that what I do is I'm not the sin police, right? I don't say, hey, Scott, I caught you going three miles over the speed limit. I caught you going eight miles. I caught you burning out. It doesn't mean, hey, you, you slipped and you cussed. Like, you're a horrible human being. Let me restore you unto Christ. We don't need to try to become the Holy Spirit and start just pointing out certain things in people's lives where we see them fall short. Because if we wanted to be, we could, yeah, we could all pick apart everyone in this room and all of their deficits. Amen? We all have deficits. So it's not our job to become the deficit pointer outer. That's not loving, that's not gentle. Essentially, what Paul is getting at here is someone who has found themselves in a pattern of sin or a trap that they never intended to find themselves in. Essentially, this sin has the upper hand in their life, and now that person cannot over the, overcome the sin without the outside help of believers. He's calling us to be slow to criticize and not fearful of confronting. Slow to criticize, but not fearful of confronting. So people who have found themselves just trapped in a sin for a season, it's our job to call them out. Now, as we talk about some people being trapped in sin or who haven't been at church, has anyone come to your mind today, this morning? Anyone thought about someone who's sinning 
and you're like, man, they're, they're, they're just stuck in this, and for weeks you've been wrestling over it. Or are you thinking about someone who's sitting next to you or not here at church or a loved one who hasn't been here for a while? Anyone in here? All right, so that's God talking to you, right? That's the Spirit of God, I believe, working through you, urging you to say, hey, if you love this person, if you care about this person, will you follow me into a phone call? Now, the way that my mind works, I'm not necessarily preaching this, but people talk about the end of time, and they talk about, I'm never going to receive the mark, of be- the mark of the beast, right? Well, if you can't make a phone call for Christ, how are you going to deny the mark of the beast? If you can't follow Christ into a phone call, how are you going to follow him with no resources? Come on, somebody. It gets scary, doesn't it? God is speaking to many of us as the church to live in in, uh, loving, gracious, patient, kind, encouraging, fruitful community. And to do that, that means we have to follow him at first into a phone call or hello. So Paul is calling us Jesus is calling us to be slow to criticize and not fearful of confronting. So as Paul says, you who live by the Spirit, this means as you approach a person to restore them, you do it by the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So how do you restore this person? I don't have that answer. That answer, that answer isn't found in just a second. We find the answer to restore loved ones by spending time with God throughout the week before we interact with those people. By petitioning them, by caring about them more than just a political smile on Sunday. So if you want the answer to restore someone and to be someone's brother and sister, then live sacrificially for the community and pray for them. Seek their face or seek God's face. In prayer, lift them up and say, God, how can I restore this person? And don't expect that the first three minutes that you pray, he's gonna give you the answer. Then the next day, God, please, when I interact with this person, may your spirit be full in me and through me and give me wisdom of how to restore this person. And then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. And then on Tuesdays, between 12 and 6, you find some time to pray for them some more. Amen? Often we just think, well, hey, I just get to go in guns a-blazing and start rebuking people and doing it gently because my heart's pure. Because I had righteous anger. None of y'all have righteous anger, not even myself. We don't have that. I think only Jesus gets to have righteous anger because our hearts are deceitful above all else. We mostly have anger. So spend time with Jesus to ask how to restore that person in your life. And you're like, I don't have time to spend time with Jesus. You have time to spend with Jesus. Turn off the headphones while you're mowing your grass. God, how do I restore? How do I, how do I this? How do I that? Will you increase yourself with this person? Right? I've seen some of y'all ride those things. (laughs) Spend time with Jesus on your drive to work. Shut off the music. 
spend time with God wherever you are. It's not that hard. It shouldn't be as complicated as we make it. If you're on an assembly line, if you're working in the office, just talk to him. Think about him. Ask him questions. So when we will um, restore people by the fruit of the Spirit, through the fruit of the Spirit. We will do it with humility. Matthew 5, 7 says this, take the log out of, sorry, 7, 5. Take the log out of your eye before you get the speck out of someone else's, right? So we're not called to be the Holy Spirit or the police. We're called to restore our brothers and sisters in humility. In humility. So we don't get to go and say, hey, Mark Snyder, I've been seeing this in your life and blah, 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 blah. You need to get it together, buddy. No, because I'm the one with the log, right? He's got the speck and I got the log. Gently, it might be Mark, I recognize that I have, I have dealt with this. I deal with this. I'm not above this. What I've recognized is maybe over this past season, you've been dealing with it and God wants to set you free. God wants to set us both free. And there's nothing that I'm speaking to Mark about now unless God's speaking to you somehow. God wants to set you free, and God wants to set us free. But we don't come with the authority of a hammer. Amen? And I'm sorry if church leaders or church members have come to you with a hammer and made you feel smaller than you should. I don't believe that that was from God. Now, I know someone in here is thinking, who am I to rebuke? Who am I to correct? Who am I to restore anyone? Well, um, good question. But he isn't calling the super spiritual, which I don't even know what the super spiritual is. There's this idea in church land that there's the super spiritual. I don't know what it is. What he's doing is he's calling sons and daughters, to be restorers of brothers and sisters. That's who gets to do it. He's calling all believers to be led by the Spirit in humility to trust Him as He helps you build people back to Him. And when I put that note down, <laughs> I said to myself, because of the conditioning of the world, I said, um, let me find it now. He's calling all believers to be led by the Spirit in humility to trust Him as He helps you build people back better. <laughs> and I said, don't put that in your notes. <laughs> um, our nature as the restorer will be one, and some of you still don't get it, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, our nature as the restorer will be one that submits to the Spirit and is now one that is gentle. See, it would be a much safer place to respond at the altar if we knew that people in the church would be gentle. See, responding at the altar isn't about the responding at, like, we all want the power of God to move through our lives, and many of us want to respond at the altar, but what we're afraid of is the church's opinion of us. It's not that we're afraid of God, it's we're afraid of the people next to us. Amen? We're afraid that the church won't restore us gently. We're afraid that the church's opinion won't be gentle of us or kind. 
We need to change that here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. And I don't think we have an over-the-top critical church. I don't think that at all. So don't hear that I'm, I've been sitting on this message for six months when I first started Galatians. I haven't been sitting on this message. I think there's something that God wants to call us unto greater. See, but many who are not, um, oh yeah, we're not there quite yet. So, um, he, yeah, he isn't calling the super spiritual. Pride is when you try to become the sin police or the Holy Spirit. False humility is when you are walking in the spirit and don't think you are godly enough to restore someone. False humility. So our nature as the restorer will be one that submits to the spirit and now one that is gentle. We must remember the way that Jesus dealt with the restorer or the way that Jesus dealt with the adulterer and how he restored her. You guys remember the story, right? A woman was caught in adultery, brought before Jesus. He said, well, what do you say, Jesus? Law says we should stone her. Jesus says, well, who of you have, who of you have not sinned cast the first stone? And they snarled, and Jesus bent down, and he wrote some stuff on the ground, many ideas of what he wrote. And then the guys run off angrily, and Jesus looks at the woman. And what does he say? You guys remember? Get up and sin no more. Be free. Get up and sin no more. That was gentle, wasn't it? What man wanted to do was stoner. What Jesus said is get up and sin no more. We have to get this as a church. We have to get what restoration looks like as a church. So many who are not spirit-led celebrate secretly as someone's mistake. And that's not the heart of God. Anyone in here ever celebrated someone's mistake? I have. I wasn't being spirit-led. We have really talked extensively today about one verse, about community. But I do want to wrap this up. I want to move on. Paul doesn't give explicit tips of um, how to restore people, explicitly when to restore people. There's no um, restoring people for dummies book that he wrote. But he does give characteristics that you and I are to possess. What he says is we must be following the Holy Spirit, those who are led by the Spirit. He said that we also must be gentle. And then he says we must be on guard. So those are the three qualities that he presents within the restorer this week. We must be led by the Spirit. We will be gentle and we need to be on guard. Just because we are restoring someone doesn't mean we are above sinning ourselves. We must be careful trying to get, sorry, we must be careful trying to enter someone else's life. We have to be really careful of that. Don't go seeking out people's mess. 
Because a lot, a lot of times we don't have the answer for that person's life. So we have to be careful not to enter that person's life and try to save them. We are to follow the Holy Spirit, not to become the Holy Spirit for someone. Finally, Paul teaches us that we are not independent, but the church is rather interdependent. Amen? We are interdependent on one another. We are family. So remember, when the Galatians heard the message of Christ, they received the Spirit, they walked in Abraham's blessing as they received the promised Spirit. God gave them the Spirit because they are sons, and they live by the Spirit. So Paul is saying this. Since we walk by the Spirit, since we are led by the Spirit, since we are keeping with the Spirit, we are to restore and rebuild those who are fallen. He is calling those who humbly look. He's calling those who humbly look at the log in their own eye before they point out the speck in their friend's eye. So will we be willing to trust him in restoring people today? Are we willing to walk in community with one another at a greater level from here moving forward? So I ask you, are you in a small group? Are you in a community group? Will you sign up for a small group? Will you sign up for a community group? Um, even something came across in our um, Sunday morning before church prayer this morning that's probably not appropriate to bring to the pulpit, but would certainly be appropriate in a small group. Do you attend church regularly? Do you serve? Do you give? Do you know someone well enough to restore them? Do you know someone well enough in here to restore them? How many of you guys are walking in accountability with someone? How many of you have someone that is willing to rebuke you, to restore you? I'm thankful for the elders because I believe that the elders will restore me if they find me trapped. Amen? And I believe that the elders will do that gently. I believe that many of you would do the same for me as well. Let's pray. Father, um, I don't have the answers, but you do. So I ask that you would help us walk in greater community this year. From this day forward, may we walk in greater community. Increase yourself with us. In Jesus' name, amen.